At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands, and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. I was able to associate hard work with with success. Yeah. And I said, never again am I not going to make it because I didn't follow through. Whenever people say to me, oh, you should have made it, you're better than most. I said, no, no, no. Moose should have made it because he applied himself. While we were playing pro, he was trying to become pro. I was getting a lot of pressure because marketing was my meant to be my specialty. Yeah. And we were trying different things. We were trying getting artists to tweet for us and it just wasn't working. And I took a step back. I was like, look, let me look at the data. And I noticed there was a rapper called K-Coke. He was mm. consistently number one. And literally, I kid you not, over a space of 90 days, we had about 30,000 subscribers. One of our clients indirectly employs 100 people. And they did 8 million pounds revenue last year. Wow. And we're looking to do 16 million this year. So culture is this unspoken thing in the room that you just know. And there's there's real currency in that. And you're managing about 10 million a year. Yeah. That's, how did you get to that point? And yeah. do you, I guess, do you feel a sense of pressure? You're not defined by where you, where you come from. Yeah. And I think that's a big message that I always yeah. want to tell people. Like, like you have to be able to be uncomfortable. Yeah. Like, be comfortable with being uncomfortable. When you grow up in ends, you don't realise it when you're confident, but you have an audacity to do things that ordinarily most people wouldn't be able to do. Welcome back to the Take of Experience. We have special guests in the building. Maz, how are you doing today? Doing great, bro. Yeah. How, how's your how's um translate culture been today? You told me that you have a busy day today, right? Yeah, busy day today. So we've got a photo shoot for one of our it's actually a video and photo shoot for a TV ad for one of our clients. Mm. And my daughter's involved, so I'm okay. super, super looking forward to that. Wow, that's that's epic. Yeah. The family family's involved in business family's now, involved, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. She's and it's actually the second time we've been involved in any campaigns, but yeah. she loves it. She loves being on screen. So love that, love that, love that, love that. So who is Maz? Maz. Oh, that's a very interesting question. <laughs> right. So yeah, so Maz is a Congolese born founder. Um, so I run a company called Translate Culture. Um, we're a data and digital marketing agency, uh, primarily working with black consumer brands. I came to the UK when I was six, so okay. been here around 30 years from Congo. have very little memory of, of Congo. Um, really? Yeah, very okay. little. Um, what I do remember though is, uh, mm. is um, I remember liking football. I remember um, it being very vibrant. So uh, my grandma actually owned, had a bar. So I always remembered like just the vibrancy of like um, some of the brands. So there used to be the brand called Primus and Skull, which were like the number one alcohol brands. And that always stuck okay. with me. Um, so I think maybe that's where like my branding and marketing background sort of comes from. But yeah, yeah. No, since I've been in the UK, yeah, I grew up in North London. Yeah, did relatively well in school. 
played a bit of football, played for Charlton when I was 14. Did you? Yeah. Whoa. Okay. And, uh, it's one of those things. My mom told me to stick to stick to school. But <sighs> when Wayne Rooney signed that 100K contract at yeah. you know, 18 or something like that, she was like, what happened to that football? And I was like, well, you told me to stick <laughs> to school. That's <laughs> what they always say. What happened, right? <laughs> exactly. But yeah, no. So, and then, um, yeah. And, you know, now I've just kind of, you know, studied marketing, mm. um, worked in corporate for about nine to 10 years. Okay. And then, yeah, now I run Translate Culture husband with two kids mm. and two girls um, amazing but yeah that's 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 me wow wow you know what? i'll give you the award for the most in-depth <laughs> intro oh, is it? All right. yeah, most people just say i'm this i'm this i'm this i'm that but okay. i like i like the way you explain this is why you're in marketing because you know how to tell a quick story and then give a bit of your background which makes it easier for me to ask you follow-up oh, questions brilliant. um so okay so you said that you went to uh you you moved over from congo right yeah how comes you have little memory of that? Like, how comes you don't remember so much um, at six? Yeah, I, I mean, to be honest, I think it's just because, yeah, I mean, 30 years is, mm. a, is a long time here. Yeah. I think, yeah, just, I remember, I remember a few things, but nothing mm. like substantial that, that sort of sticks out. And, you know, I've never, I've never been back since, to be fair. Which really? Is yeah. Okay. Because um, most of my family is in Europe. So you have oh, family okay. in Belgium and places yeah. like that. Um, only, only my grandma, I believe, is, is back there. She travels to come see us. Yeah. But, um. I want to go. And it's interesting because, you know, funny thing, when you have children, you start to learn more about yourself. And like my daughter now, when they ask her where she's from, she says she's Congolese, Ghanaian, Jamaican. Mm. And she's very proud of her heritage. Okay. And the school very much encourages that. Yeah. And it kind of made me a bit like guilty. Like, oh gosh, I wish I tapped in a bit more into, mm. into Congolese culture. It's not too late though. It's, oh no, definitely Never not. Never too I, late. I've started. Yeah, yeah. I'll tell you what, I love Congolese food. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so, yeah. Name me some Congolese food because I don't oh, even know much of what, like Congolese. what's the best? So the best that, Congolese yeah. food, uh, there's something called um, taba. Okay. Which is goat. It's like grilled goat, mm. goat meat. That bro. sounds amazing. Trust me. It's, it's, I definitely, I definitely, Trust you better have some of this at your oh, event. Oh yeah. Oh, you know what? Oh, you know what? Some, someone put me under pressure last time. I was like, "Where's the Congolese food? How are you? Are you having an event in the Congolese food?" Yeah, so, see. So taba, it's, yeah, it's lovely. Yeah. Um, it's that's kind of like our national dish. Mm. And there's kwanga, which is like cassava leaves, like fufu, okay. but type of thing. Um, and it's pondu, which is cassava leaves again cooked. There's yeah. loads of dishes, but um, what's it called? Um, taba. Is well known. Like wow. if you meet a Congolese person and say like yeah. Taba, they'll be like, that's yeah. that's what it is. Okay, yeah. I, 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 I need to find myself some of that. Yeah. Amazing. Okay, so you moved to the UK. What area do you say that you grew up mostly in? in North London. So North London. we okay. moved all around North London. Mm. So um, I originally lived in Wood Green. Yeah. Moved to Tottenham, Edmonton. I've literally stayed in those three areas. Okay, um, cool. In and around, and my mom moved out to Essex, and yeah, I sort of moved back to North because just all my mates were still around there. Yeah, how do you find it uh, in growing up in like Edmonton, Tottenham area? Yeah, I mean to be fair, I loved it, man. I mean for me, you know what I love, especially Tottenham. Tottenham's probably the area where I spent the most time, mm. and Tottenham's one of the most multicultural areas in Europe. Yeah, like every ethnicity you could think of is there. So for me, it was like. It was the first place where I went to school. Yeah. You know, a lot of my friends are actually Ghanaian. Mm. Um, just because most of my best friends were Ghanaian. So I spent yeah. a lot of time in Port okay. Farm. I almost feel like I've traveled the world mm. just living in that in that borough. Uh, <laughs> That's a great statement to it, say, yeah. Tell yeah. It's, it's, I know what you mean by that though. It's yeah. such a it's it's such a obviously, you know, like it, you know, it, it it's a deprived areas and there are there are challenges and stuff yeah. like around crime and stuff but i never i saw it as home you yeah. know what i mean like and it's, it's maybe like the naivety of growing up in an area you don't necessarily see it how other people see it yeah but yeah tottenham was was amazing then my family moved around but yeah no i re really loved it really okay. really loved it. and also there was a 
on West Green Road, there was a, a Congolese community there as well. Okay. So like I used to go to a barber shop, which was Congolese. Next door was a, a shop that sold Congolese food and there was a the restaurant. So um, and we're actually doing a, a documentary mm. on West Green Road. So it's the only place I remember where most of the businesses were predominantly black owned. Mm. And actually the first black millionaires mm-hmm. um, called Dyke and Dryden, were based there in the 60s. Okay. What, yeah. what were they doing? What was it? They were like, selling uh, hair and beauty products. So really? Yeah. Early in the 60s. Bro. Uh, early. And we didn't replicate that for we, some reason. Early, bruv. And, wow. Um, and it's what was what was very interesting for me, I didn't find out about them until about five years ago. Okay. And I would consider myself quite a historian of, yeah. of Tottenham and the yeah. of Haringey. <laughs> but I found out about them because somebody did a documentary and they mentioned mm-hmm. them. Uh, and I went on Amazon and she found a book called How They Made the First Million. Um, incredible! Like they actually, you know, the Afro Hair and Beauty show. Mm. They 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 founded that. Oh. Um, they did so much for the community. Wow! And I actually interviewed the guy called Rudy Page, who's mm. the, who's their marketing manager. Great conversation, and mm. a lot of the marketing techniques I'm using today. Yeah, they were the doing one. back then. Really advertising on. So they're ahead of the time. Ahead of the time, they were yeah. advertising on pirate radio stations. <laughs> Right. Yeah, right. That's smart though. That's smart. Which yeah. is what we're doing. We're advertising yeah. on like you know yeah. black uh, platforms. Yeah, on, like you know. And I was like, listening to Pirate back then too. Yeah, exactly. And the yeah. way they did that because they knew that's how they could reach their audience. Yeah, right? and it's just yeah. So it's really fascinating. So um, yeah, that's kind of I can't remember how I got here, but that mm. was yeah. So West Green Road in particular, mm. if you're Congolese and you in the nineties, that mm. was like a staple. But in learning the history yeah. of that you know, the Caribbean community and what they had mm. built prior to that. And then the Ghanaian community of comics. To this day, you can go there today and see loads of um, businesses yeah. from different parts of um, our diaspora. That's amazing. I feel like, you know what's so funny? Even though you said that you didn't go back to, you know, Congo, yeah. I feel like you still absorbed the culture. You don't have to be there to absorb the culture, right? Exactly. I'm, I'm Nigerian, Syrianian, and I absorbed a lot of that culture yeah. by going to the parties exactly. by eating the food yeah by the languages that were spoken around me right i don't you know it's, it's not necessary right like you you still absorb that right 100 i agree yeah. and i think i think that's where you know growing up like you know we still played lots of congolese music mm. but what, what i find what i find fascinating is like my sister who was born here mm. she's more tapped into congolese culture than i okay she keep, it's, it's this <laughs> thing where it's like where you're not born there you're kind of yeah it's, it's like a, um and she's been a couple of times um but yeah i was still tapped in in terms of music and all that kind of stuff but yeah i would love to go back i would definitely love to take my children there yeah. just to kind of see it yeah. as well yeah 100 yeah. so how did you uh find schools or what were you like so school, school uh yeah. i was pretty good at school actually okay. i um i was i was academic yeah so did relatively well in primary school mm-hmm. Ended up going to, <laughs> ended up going to the worst school. This sounds weird. Ended up going to the worst school in the borough because okay. my mum didn't understand like how the system works. Like uh, you've got to apply, you've got to pick like your top schools and whatever, you know. And she was, you know, she was still learning English and stuff mm. like that. So I ended up going to uh, a school called DNK, mm. um, which was yeah, not not the best school, but it actually I think it was the best school for me. Okay, because uh, once again, very diverse. Mm. Um, um, so I made some great friends there. Yeah. Didn't have a great reputation there, but you could see the teachers, some of the teachers cared. Yeah. And uh, yeah, like I said, I built some great friendships. Um, yeah, school did well. Did my English GCSEs a year early. Wow. Um, well, yeah. you smart then. <laughs> well, <laughs> relative. Yeah. I did it a year early and they took us to Cambridge University. Wow. And it didn't clock two years later that we had gone to Cambridge University and the teacher was like, 
really trying to drum into us. You guys should all come here, you know, mm. to really to inspire us. And I took it for granted. And I think it was a bit of a, because I had just like two GCSEs by the time I was going into 11, I coasted a little bit in year 11, mm. you know, and I think that was the challenge is that, um, and it wasn't until I left that school and went to a, a, a sixth form, which was literally yeah. like next door, where a bit more affluent sort yeah. of kids went to. Most people, they had A stars and mm. me, I'm super competitive. So I had like A's and B's. I was like, oh no, like, you know, so yeah. I stepped up um, in college. Okay. Um, and then, yeah, so I, was, I, I did quite well in school. And obviously yeah. football helped as well. Mm. Get some popularity. Yeah. Like, yeah. Wow. Wow. What, what, what impact do you think school had on you? Like going to the worst school, but still having teachers that were still pushing you? Yeah. I think what school did for me, it showed me, I guess, the value of... Um, I guess your your network. Mm. So obviously you go to certain schools and then you you naturally build relationships with different people. But you you start to see that as you start moving into year nine and year ten and your your, your friendship circles start to, you know, like go into clusters like yeah. those that are really interested in education and so forth. So I yeah I just developed some very strong friendships. Okay. I spent a lot of time like you know after school I would go to my friend's house. You know we would we, we you know we just spend time and. And get to know their culture and they'll get to come get to know my culture. So that's one thing I got from school. And also later on learn that it's it's all about application. Okay. Like you, I mean, most things aren't tough in school as yeah. long as you apply yourself, right? Yeah. It's um, important. Yeah. yeah. So but um yeah, that's that's the two things, network and, and, and application. Amazing. Yeah. And you went football. How did this happen whilst at school? What what, what point did the whole Chartham thing happen? Yeah, so um yeah, so football, I was yeah, I was relatively good at football and then um in year nine. So I played from, I represented my borough as well. Harry. Wow. So we played Brent. I remember this game in my head. We played Brent and they were our, our arch rivals. So yeah. usually Brent, us, were like the top two mm-hmm. teams in, in the, I guess, Middlesex. And I scored a hat-trick. Okay. And, wow, that's amazing. And I scored, yeah. um, you know, what's the, you know when you score header, left foot, right foot? It's like the perfect uh, It's like the perfect hat-trick. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Perfect hat-trick. One of them was, I still remember this this day because one of my friends, he was shouting and like he's like oh my god how did you do that it was one of do you remember Noiko Kanu scored a goal against Chelsea like on, on the touchline I think I remember that yes I yes scored, yes yes scored yes, one yes. of them really Pretty yeah I remember that I'm an Arsenal fan so I remember yeah. that yeah <laughs> there was a Charlton guy scout there so got scouted went into like the trial period and all that kind of stuff so I was traveling all the way from North London to South London yeah but I'll be getting back home like at 11 you know what I mean because it's, it's far you yeah. know what I mean and rightly so my mom was like look you know like this is like, what are you, you going to do this properly yeah. or school? And it was quite dangerous coming back home that late. And then I think for me, I missed one game and I just never went back. Really? I just, yeah, I just didn't want to, mm. I just didn't want to face the, mm. you know, but maybe I should have gone back. But, mm. but yeah, so that was, that was, that was eye opening. But yeah, I mean, that team in Harringay, we had some amazing players. We had players mm. at Chelsea, wow. we had players at West Ham. It was, it was a great team to be yeah. part of. Yeah. Wow. Do you, do you have regrets about it? About now, football? Yeah. I actually don't. Yeah. And I'll okay. tell you why. Cool. Um, so I didn't make it, but one of my friends, Kumus, made it. And he was, he's probably the only one within our close network of friends that made it. And I remember, you know, people will always, you know how your mates are like, yeah. oh, you should have made it. Da, da, yeah. Da, da. Yeah. You know, some, some people are like, oh, you were better than Mus and whatever. Yeah. But I'm a kind of person where I'm very observed, like, like I observe and look at patterns, mm-hmm. right? So I would, We'll just be finished playing Pro Evo with with, yeah. my, with my friends. Yeah, I remember Pro Evo. Remember Pro Evo. <laughs> and then I'll be going through like, so we lived in Tottenham, so Northumberland Park, um, which is next to the Tottenham Stadium. Yeah. And I'll see my friend Moss every day training. 
Okay. Running up and down, doing drills. Okay. Training, running up and down, doing. So wow. when he made it, I was able to associate hard work with, with success. Yeah. And I said, never again, am I not going to make it, because I didn't follow through, and the the ingredients to success is hard work. Mm. So I, I I even said this to him, and I said to all my friends, I said, look, whenever people say to me, oh, you should have made it, you're better than most. I said, no, 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 most should have made it. Because he applied himself. Mm. And he really, I even had, a, <clears throat> even had a tagline, while we were playing pro, he was trying to become pro, right? So that was always, I always just try to remember to myself, it's like, okay, wh- while I was playing pro Evo, my friend Moose was trying to become pro and he made it pro. Obviously, there was growing up, was like, oh, I wish I made it. But mm. I actually think that lesson taught me and, and brought me where I am today. And I, and I generally believe that if I didn't go through this journey, uh, I think I'm probably going to have a greater impact in yeah. the world and my community going through the journey that I'm going through than I would have had if I, if I was a footballer. Yeah, I, I, I completely agree with that. And I think that it's, it's, it's so important that you made that connection because I think a lot of people negate, like there's talent. Some people are really talented yeah. and some people may not be as talented, but they're just consistent. Yep. And then they get to that mm-hmm. level of talent, right? Exactly. They fulfill their 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 talent. I mean, how many footballers have oh, Balotelli? I can think of Balotelli that I was, I'm like, this guy should have been one of the best yeah. ever. Didn't really fulfill it. He's probably so talented that he was able to make it. Yeah, but I don't think he kicked on. What, yeah, he didn't kick on really. Yeah, you know, and he's one. Shout out to Balotelli, by the way. I'm not. I'm not dissing. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'm not dissing you. I like Balotelli. Yeah. I'm just saying. But yeah, it's a. It's such an interesting, interesting thing. And I, I completely agree with you. I feel like if you're consistent, mm-hmm. if you work hard, you give yourself the best chance to, to get to where you need to get to. Yeah. And also when you look at the the data, yeah, you know, a small number of people make it. Yeah. And it takes so much to make. Yeah. And it's the, the consistency. And I look at a football career is much shorter than a business career. Yeah. So that's, 100%. I, I get to play business till I'm 90. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. So that's, that's, one, that's one of the reasons why I don't have much regret. Amazing. Yeah. So, okay, so... So that happened, and then I guess said that you end up going to uni. What mm-hmm. did you study at, at uni? Yeah, so I went to uni. I, st- I went to Hertfordshire University. I studied business. Okay, business. Um, it's interesting actually because when I when I was in college, I yeah. actually wasn't going to go to university. Okay, two things pushed me. My stepdad was really like put like he was very competitive. Yeah, <laughs> so like, my mom would be like, "Oh, my son did really well in school." Yeah, but yeah. But he needs good A levels. Okay, so I have like I'll have to prove him. And then he's like, oh, but he needs to go to uni. You know yeah. what I mean? He always like put yeah. milestones. And I'm super competitive. But it was actually my friend Leon, who the year prior had gone to Brunel University. Yeah. And I saw the level of maturity that he had developed in the space of nine months. Wow. So he came back, we were playing pro again. And he was just so mature. He was just sitting there and he was like, you could just tell that like, it felt like he, you guys could be doing more than this and that kind of inspired me i was like look i want i want that i want that level of growth so a lot of my friends went to brunel but i purposely chose to go to harfisher because i actually wanted to do something i want to stay close to home as well so studied business but i actually went there to do finance and my rationale was finance the bank that's where the money is so i'm gonna go work yeah (laughs) everybody thinks that's where the money is not that there isn't the money is there (laughs) but there's money in other places too yeah yeah exactly so that was like my that was my algorithm was like bank money and then um started the course and you know when you start school um uni first you do a bit of everything you do like foundational marketing foundational finance foundational accounting and marketing just grabbed me man 
Really? Like, okay. I get this. This yeah. this I am I'm I'm creative. I'm good with numbers, but I'm I'm also creative. And I'm mm-hmm. like, so I switched my course to business because I still wanted a broader business understanding, but I specialized in marketing. It was, okay. it was a four-year course. Wow. Third year was an industrial placement. Yeah. So which was probably the best decision I ever made because mm. it meant that I got work experience. Mm-hmm. Um and I graduated in 2009. So this is post-recession. Okay. Yeah. So having that work experience was was super helpful. That's so interesting that you decided marketing was something that you wanted to to do yeah yeah that's 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 very interesting yeah and it's very interesting as well if you think about it um marketing especially my marketing class it was Mm. like it was predominantly female predominantly Mm. white to be Mm. honest and i think most of my friends that i grew up with it was like accounting and finance yeah do you know what i mean you kind of drummed into you but for me it was just it just the creativity of marketing just the mm. concept made sense like mm. the concept of like the four p's you know product yeah. it just made sense i was like i can be both analytical and mm. creative in this space yeah but yeah probably best decision i ever made and at what point did mixtape madness does this happen during uni or was that like after uni yeah so uni so i graduated 2009 interestingly so when i was in my industrial placement so this mm-hmm. would link in very well I went to Brunel University. So okay. I was used, ah, so I went to okay. Hertfordshire, yeah. but I was working at Nissan. So Nissan had an mm. industrial placement. So they asked us to go to do a tour at different universities. Yeah. So I went to Brunel University and I bumped into my friend Andy. Yes, Andy, yes, Andy, yeah, Andy. Shout out, uh, Andy's been on the podcast as well. Yeah, 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 yeah. and Andy, okay. um, Andy always says to me, it was the most yeah. inspiring thing for him to see someone from his own area coming with a corporate brand, saying, yeah. you know, trying to get people to work. Yeah. So me and Andy's relationship really kicked off from mm. there. And then I built a bit of a reputation. So when I was in uni, I had a, a blog with a friend of mine, uh, a friend Leon, and we were trying to be the, we didn't even know this is what we were trying to be, but we we're trying to be like the Huffington Post for the culture. Okay. Essentially, we just wanted, and and, and, I, and I stand by this, I think I coined the phrase user-generated content, but neither, neither here. Okay, <laughs> okay. But that was the tagline. UGC, right? UGC, okay. Yeah. It was ah, like user-generated okay. content. So what we said, we'll crowdsource. Yeah. A lot of our friends were writers, yeah. so we thought we'd crowdsource people's opinions. So I'll write about football, mm. he'll write about rap and music. So that's where it started. And it built a bit of a buzz within like North London. Yeah. So when Andy and Eddie came up with the concept of mixtape madness, they were like, we've got to get Maz on board. Mm. He's, you know, he's, he's good at marketing. Look what he's done with yeah. the brand was called People Leaped at the time. Um, so I got involved super early. Okay. Um, and, wow. and the problem we were solving was literally like, we wanted to access all the demos and the mixtapes that we yeah. grew up, Kano, all of those guys. Mm. And that piff was obviously an example of that. Yeah. So we were like, well, let's create a UK version of that. Mm. And I love like problems that are like super simple to explain. Yeah. But yeah. that are that I'm passionate about. Yeah. Well. So that's how I jumped on board. That's crazy. I guess what was the highlight of your time uh, doing? Yeah, mixed mixed madness. madness. Yeah. Oh, so many. Yeah. So um, the biggest highlight, which actually got me into data and digital marketing, yeah, was um, so those five of us. Okay. Right. In total, uh, that, that was the team. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And cool. it was a great working environment. So yeah. I, wor- I was working corporate at the time, but this was a proper startup. Yeah. And we put our own money in. Okay. So it was a lot of pressure. And with, you know, guys from, you know, you're from the area, like you're, mm. there's a lot of ego and mm. stuff. And so, but it pushed us, you know, it's like, mm-hmm. you know, w- you know, what are you doing on the accounting? What are you doing with marketing? It's like, it was a yeah. lot of pressure, which is great. And I look back at it and it's the reason why I love startups now. The highlight for me was, we were growing, but we weren't growing fast enough. And there was mm. a few other competitors. So there's a thing, there's another platform called Download a Mixtape or something like that. I don't know if I heard of them. Um, oh, no. There's another one called uh, Hood Tapes. All of Hood those. Tapes, so there's okay. a few, there's a few others. Yeah. So there's a lot of competition building up. And I was getting a lot of pressure because marketing was my, meant to be my specialty. Yeah. And we were trying different things. We were trying to get an artist to tweet for us and it just wasn't working. Mm. And I took a step back. I was like, look, 
let me look at the data. So I installed Google Analytics at the mm. time. And I noticed there was a rapper called K Coke. He was mm. consistently number one. So we had like a chart as well. Yeah. A mixtape manager. So you could see which mixtape was getting the number one yeah. and more streams. There's an artist called K Coke and he'd just been signed by Rock Nation. Mm. He was consistently number one. He had a mixtape called Pure Coke Volume One. Amazing mixtape. And um and I said, let me look at the data and see like, because yeah. I know I didn't market that mixtape. Why is it number one? So I looked at the data um, and I could see that about 40% of his traffic was, basically he accounted for 60% of the traffic organic to our site, mm. but 40% of his traffic was coming from Wikipedia. Seriously? Yeah. <laughs> Wikipedia? Wikipedia. And back, and back then Wikipedia, you can, you know, you can tweak it. You can go yeah. in there and change a few yeah. things. I think that it's a little bit more, okay. uh, it's harder to do so yeah. now. So I just followed the breadcrumbs and I was like, why are we getting so, tra- so much traffic from Wikipedia? And I went to his Wikipedia page. Somebody created a discography page and on the mixtapes linked our website. So that Pure Cook mixtape was linked back to Mixtape Madness. Oh, and I was like, hey. guys, wow. stop all other forms of marketing. What we're going to do is we're going to go on every single UK rapper's Wikipedia page. We're going to create a mixtape section and do the whole discography and link it back to our site. What I didn't know why that was so genius was Google at the time, Google's search engine optimization, um, search engine algorithm mm. very much ranked Wikipedia really high. So anything that was coming from Wikipedia had yeah. very strong, um, I guess, domain authority. And literally, I kid you not, over a space of 90 days, we had about 30,000 subscribers. Wow. And from learning that, I was like, okay, we've got to do this tenfold. And then um, Chipmunk was dropping his first mixtape after he signed to TI. And literally I went down the rabbit hole of just learning SEO. Um, and we were going to compete with that piff because that was the only mixtape that was going to be both UK and US. Yeah. Um, and everybody was kind of just building up the hype around it. Used all the knowledge I learned from SEO, the Wikipedia and stuff. And we actually were number one in the UK for Chipmunk's mixtape. Wow. Even beating Chipmunk's, like literally if you Googled... Um, mm. I think the mixtape was called London Boy. Mm. We literally beat his, top. Wow. Top beat his tape. Wow. And um, so that was a highlight for me. Um, and that's what made me realize, actually, I'm good with this data thing. And that marketing was moving more digital. And by being digital, it allowed, it allowed analytics. And then I realized, yeah. actually, that's where my strong point is. And that's why I'm going to double down. Wow. That's amazing. Uh, I'm curious. The data point. What made you think, ah, I'm going to look at the data? It's not so obvious though, but yeah, it's not, you yeah. know what it is? I was, I was, I was, um, I was tired, frustrated because I had a full-time job as well. Okay. And, you know, and I was doing some, like I had, I had so many projects yeah. at the time. I was working on a few different stuff and obviously you're getting this pressure from the team because we, we all have objectives and we've got to deliver and something just told me like, just take a, just take a deep breath. Yeah. Right. It's got to be an easier way around it. And it's actually one of the philosophies I've developed right now, which is, um, it's not philosophy, but it's, 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 it's a terminology of um, the path of least resistance. Yeah. You're like, you know, I'm trying to say, like, you don't always have to do it the hard way. Mm. So, yeah, no, because I installed Google Analytics because I worked on my previous, um, the, the Huffington Post yeah. platform that I was building. And I realized that I used Google Analytics then to, to also figure out what kind of blogs we should mm. be writing. So somebody told me like, mate, you've done this two years ago. Why don't you just look at the data? <laughs> Do you know what I mean? And um, It's crazy. The it, skills that you have already and you forget. You forget. Mad, you know what I mean? Madness. And I just developed that. Just great. And, and it's, it's been the story of my life. Like where I am today has been a compounding effect of things that I learned along the way. Yeah. Sometimes even things that when I failed. Yeah. But there's, a, there's some learning that's just compounded over time. So yeah, that was it. It was like, I was frustrated. I was tired. There was a lot of pressure. <laughs> I was like, look, whatever I'm doing isn't working. Yeah. Let me just take a step back. Like, yeah. 
you know, is the email I'm sending working? Is this done? Oh, but hold on. Yeah. Is this cake coke guy? Let me go down yeah. there. Breadcrumb. Mad. Yeah, that was it. Mad, mad. So you, you, you mentioned that you left Mixtape Madness. Where, at what point did you leave Yes, I left Mixtape Madness. Madness about 2014. Okay. Mainly because, like I said, I was doing a lot. Like yeah. a career, I was trying to do. Obviously, I got, I was with my, my wife then, but she wasn't, she was my girlfriend at the time. But, I, you know, I had plans to sort of get married and stuff. Just so much on. So I decided to just kind of focus on my career. Okay. And so it's also this thing where I, I did a bit of analysis. Obviously, these businesses were early space, so it wasn't necessarily paying us because we're putting all the money back yeah. into the business. Okay. And I wanted to get married, and I was yeah. like, ninety percent or hundred percent of my salary is coming from a job. Mm. Let me just double down on that. Let me mm. take some time off. Yeah. And then at the same time, I made a transition to go work for the British Medical Journal. Okay. Uh, as a campaign selection executive, because I really wanted to start at the bottom again with this data mm. thing. Mm. Um, okay, so you were doing marketing for a bit. So I was doing marketing yeah. uh, at Nissan. Yeah. Um, and oh, then, big company. Yeah. 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 So I was um, I was there for like four to five years. Yeah. In the grad scheme. Yeah. To be fair, I, I didn't really apply myself. Okay. Because I felt like I had mixed in minus out of few. Yeah. It's, it's so interesting. It's like a back and forth thing. Like, yeah, yeah. I yeah. didn't apply myself. I look back, you know, yeah. um, you know, if I had applied myself, maybe I could have moved yeah. up. But then you know what? It's the right decision. It's all lessons at the end of the day, yeah. right? And that we learn from. Yeah. As well as I probably don't care about cars that much. Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> fair enough. It's gotta be you gotta be passionate about passionate it, about right? It. Yeah. yeah. So I was obviously more passionate about yeah. Mixed and other businesses that I was building. But yeah, then I 2014 mm. left Mixed Manners, moved into like a yeah, a job at the British Medical Journal mm. as a campaign selection executive. And that job was I said that job was chasing me. Like literally mm. it was around for like three months. Nobody could get a job. And my missus was like, you need to apply for this. I was like, what's BMJ? And you know, interesting thing as mm. well, and this is advice I'll give to to young people. See when I was young, I wanted to work for prestigious brands that my friends knew yeah so from nissan i wanted to move to like bmw or nike or brands that people knew because i when i came to my community people were like, oh mass works in nissan and my mom would even be like oh mass is a manager at nissan I'm, I'm, I'm not a manager but she would tell all her church friends and everything there's a sense of pride when it's a brand that people know yeah so i always was looking for jobs of brands that people knew but this job was just like literally lingering every time this recruiter was reaching out to me but my wife had worked she was a, a cbt therapist in the nhs so she knows that British Medical Journal is a huge business in that space. But yeah. in the culture, I didn't know that. Best, best like career decision I ever made. Wow. Like literally walked into that organization. They were very clear in terms of what data meant for the growth of that business. There was a three to five year plan of how the business was going to transition. I had a great manager who really believed in me and, and really invested in me. And what I did, having learned from my previous job, is when you've got a roadmap of where the corporate brand is or the business is going you can align your career towards that mm. so i knew where my role fitted in in terms of where the business was today yeah. um and yeah and i got promoted three times in five years wow uh, which is was unheard of especially in that organization mm. um but wow. it literally was about applying myself um and learning from my my friends and, and reaching out to help for people yeah. who who'd excelled in their careers so what was the role what was different about the role at at this company yeah so the role like, at uh, the role at nissan was kind of more um just marketing um executives so helping yeah. out with like events and all this kind of stuff the role at bmj was literally they had millions of data so you could imagine every doctor every oh. kind of you know nurse would would subscribe to the british medical journal yeah they'll subscribe to a wide range of their um their publications and they just had to basically make the best use of it 
So there was different parts of departments sending emails, pulling data out themselves. Yeah. And they wanted to mitigate that. Obviously GDPR was coming as well. So my job was to come and work with my manager and actually put in processes in place to make sure that, you know, the company continued to be data compliant. Yeah. But along that way, I just learned so much around like APIs, automations and all that wow. kind of stuff. And yeah. I love yeah. that. Ah, oh, bro, you know, yeah. You, yeah, you, yeah, I love that. I love yeah, that. I love all the tech, I love yeah. all the tech talk. Trust me. So that was, that was, that was amazing. Oh, wow. That's crazy. Amazing. And then I guess Translate Culture, at what point, when did that get born? Yeah, so Translate Culture yeah. was born, I would say, 2018. 2018, Yeah, okay. so my yeah. wife, uh, Natalie, had uh, a business called Bespoke Binny. She was okay. selling African print homeware. Yeah, I've heard. Yeah, yeah, yeah. On, on Etsy. Yeah. So she, had? Oh, I thought yeah. it was still back. Oh, no, she's um, she's paused it. She okay, was, yes, yes, I remember that. Yeah, was paused. Yeah, yeah, she, yeah, she wants okay. to focus on that. Um, yeah. And just like herself and okay. and the family, which is which I'm super grateful for. She's actually she's been helping me with, with yeah. the transit culture, doing an okay. amazing job. There. Okay, so, wow. Which is kind of a 360 because I worked for her and then she works, yeah. works for me, which is amazing. <laughs> so she had a store um, on Etsy, which yeah. is like a marketplace where you yeah. sell like homemade stuff. And you know, I was just helping her on the side, just you know, as you naturally do with your partner. We'll go to markets in South London and all that kind of stuff. She's helping along the way. And then um then it was 2017 you know, just kind of really decided to sort of really be of service to her yeah. and like use data to kind of move her from that platform. She stayed on Etsy, moved her to Shopify. So I was kind of learning mm. with, with her platform um, and I was sharing it. I was blogging about it. So it was being shared in like a few business communities. And then just because I was blogging it, um, one of our friends had an opportunity to get a, an article on the Evening Standard yeah. as an example of somebody who used their skills from work to grow a business. And they recommended us because I've shared everything. I was mm -hmm. literally sharing, like, okay, pricing's an issue. Here's what we're testing. And and I, we got featured on Evening Standard as an example of somebody who used their, wow. their, their skills at work to grow their own business wow which was amazing because then what enabled me is i built a bit of a reputation once again um amongst e-commerce businesses in our community i started a whatsapp group um and then it just grew from like two people to like a hundred people really like yeah, that very quickly That's like in crazy. the space of a year wow um, i was organizing meetups um so i'll call favors like some of my friends worked at like google i'm mm. like can we use your office to just meet up and you can imagine you know you're your young black entrepreneur starting out your business and you know you get invited to google to mm. be in the office and and i'm presenting to you like things mm. you can do around digital marketing yeah. i was just doing it out of service yeah and but what was so amazing about our whatsapp group is I built a reputation, but also I was learning what the problems were. And because I ran Facebook ads for my wife, a few people were like, oh, does anybody know how to run Facebook ads? I'm like, oh yeah, I'll, I'll do a workshop on that. And I'll present to people, this is how you run Facebook ads. Yeah. And they're like, oh man, why don't you just do it for me? And how much will you charge? I'm like, just give me two bills. And then the okay. next person, like, oh man, I heard you did a great job for that person. How much you charge now? I was like, 250. And the next person, I was like, five bills. And slowly, you know, it just started building up. And I remember 2019, I had accumulated enough clients to to match about half of my salary. Okay. And I said, That's good. <laughs> yeah. And I said to myself, what if I did this full time? So October 2019, handed in my notice. Well, oh. September I handed in my notice. And then yeah, October 2019 went full time. Mm. Um, and yeah, just kind of took off. And wow. then 2020 happened, lockdown. 24th of March, I remember specifically the day after lockdown, I lost half my clients. 
Really? Yeah. You lost half. I thought you were gonna say. That. I thought oh, you were gonna yeah. say. That. I was like, I got bad clients. Oh, it, it didn't all go. Oh, you know, okay. There were some downturns. And wow. My wife had also quit her job mm. because her business took off. Mm. So she quit her job in January. So you can imagine March twenty fourth. The world is like, God. No one knows what's gonna happen. Um, but I didn't. I didn't feel any way around it. Like because I literally these like my client like the biggest brands in the world stop advertising. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So was, all my clients was like, it was amicable. I was like, no, I totally understand. I don't know what I'm going to do. But it was a blessing because it made me double down on my wife's business. Yeah. Um, she had a problem where she used to sell lampshades, which were her best selling products. Um, but she was having an issue with it because they're so big. Shipping was too costly. So I said to her, you've always wanted to teach people how to make lampshades. And there's a trend now that everybody's doing like learning lessons through Zoom. What if you taught people how to make lampshades remotely? But what we'll do is we'll sell the product in a small package so then that would lower shipping costs mm. still charge the same amount but you're actually teaching your skills and you can teach like yeah. tens of people and we put it in our whatsapp group and people were like that's an amazing idea then i tweeted it and that community retweeted it and it went mm. viral and literally tripled our revenue wow today whilst lowering her shipping cost wow um and that was just perfect timing because by the time it came to june and obviously black lives matter and everything she had already built enough traction that she was featured on Forbes. Martha Stewart picked her up um, on her blog wow. and actually referenced that her doing those classes was like very innovative. But once again, it's like in the trenches of lockdown, it kind of forced us to be innovative together. Yeah. And obviously other people saw that and were like, Maz, I want some of that. Uh, <laughs> that was it. They want some of that Maz magic. Some, yeah. <laughs> but it was so beautiful as well at the same time is because the world was locked up. Yeah. Locked down, should I say. More people were spending time on, on social media. Mm -hmm. But then the big spenders stopped spending. So my £10 or £100 I'm spending for my clients is reaching further and it's converting. So we took one, one brand we was working with. You know, we took them from doing... I mean, they, they were doing multiple five figures by the time the end of the year it came they were doing a half a million pounds revenue wow which is incredible and just through facebook ads is how, how we scaled it so yeah so that was and it's the thing if i didn't leave 2019 i don't think i would have left the 2020 yeah because it, 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 it would have yeah. been it would have been too shaky for me to, to 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 take that leap of faith especially having a child and you had a mortgage and literally me and my wife and the and, the, and my daughter at the time was two two years old so so actually leaving in 2019 was 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 a blessing in some some shape wow, or form. Yeah. That's insane. Yeah. Man, it was a roller coaster though, bro. Yeah. I can't lie to you. I mean, we did save up six months worth of savings. If Smart. And I love that you say that because yeah, that's yeah. very important. A lot of people, not that they omit the details, but everybody's circumstances is different. Some people start businesses whilst they're at home so they don't have to pay for rent or anything like that. Mm -hmm. um, some people, like you say, save, save expenses. So that's quite important to give yourself a buffer. Yeah. Wow, that's crazy. Yeah. That is absolutely crazy. I feel like, do you know, I've got to ask you this question though. Mm -hmm. Did you plan, it sounds like you didn't plan like, which I love, mm -hmm. like you didn't plan, like like you said, you just was in service to them and then you yep. started to uncover their problems mm -hmm. and then that's what brought out the opportunity, but you didn't plan that, right? No. That's that's just something that was just uncovered. It's something that uncovered. That's yeah. the best. Yeah. And it, and it's funny because now I, I tell people they should do the same. Yeah. Create a community. Because the thing about a community is you get to crowdsource problems. Yeah. Because I sat there, I could have done, I mean, if they came in there and said, you know, we're all having problems with graphics design 
I could have started a graphic design agency. Do you know what I mean? It's like, it just so happened that the problem they all had was something that I already had talent for or, or, or experience. Yeah. So now I think now that I've been through that experience, like I said, I, did, I never planned it. I just wanted to have a community that I could serve. And yeah, it, the timing was, was, was perfect. But like I say to every entrepreneur now, if you're struggling to find a business idea, build a community of people you care about the most that you want to serve and just listen. Okay. And the problem will come. Okay. That's amazing. That's and amazing you, advice. And then you go and find a way to serve that properly. Yeah. yeah. Wow. And so now you've refined your your business now a bit more. I was having a look at the website. Yeah. And like you have like three targets, right? Media, consumer, and personal brand. I guess why are those three? Why was those the f- focus? Yeah, sure. So when I started uh, Translate Culture, like I said, I was predominantly working with e-commerce businesses. We did end up doing some pretty big like VC gaming companies. So I, I was like taking any jobs like that was coming during lockdown. Do you know what I mean? But I just realized I had so much passion for black consumer brands in particular, hair and skin. And I always use this, this kind of example. I was saying this to my wife and a few of my friends. If you look at a shopping basket of every single person in the UK, right? If we go to Sainsbury's, Tesco's or whatever, 99% of the products that we buy is pretty much the same. You couldn't be able to tell whether somebody was black, Asian or white if you took away hair and skin because we're all buying the same toilet toothpaste it's all the same brands colgate and whatever where there's a clear difference is our hair our hair and on our skin routine right? yeah so if i'm buying shea butter you can probably tell us for a black person if i'm buying you know let's say aaron wallace or like products that are specifically unique to our hair that's where you start to see where the clear difference is yeah. because biologically that's where we are different mm. our hair and skin so i really wanted to double down on that so when i double down on sort of black skin um black um i guess personal brands um I then realized, actually, I'm spending all this money on Facebook, spending all the money mm. on these different platforms. But the best way to reach, whenever we looked at the marketing ROI, some of the best results we, we achieved was when we used um, uh, an existing independent black platform. So, for example, two of my biggest clients, or two of our top three clients, uh, one is a brand called Averstel, founded by a guy called Yao, um, started a skincare brand because his wife had a skin condition. And he blew up. Um, off of Shadebara. So he did a post okay. in Shadebara 2020 October when the world was locked down and basically showed like before and afters of like his products, how well it worked. Prior to him, um, Amma, who runs Plant Made, she did exactly the same. She showed that she created this product and it helped her hair grow. Like she was actually telling an authentic story and she was just amplified it through Shadebara. And what that made me realize, and Gary Vee um, uses this term called underpriced attention. Right. So this is where you buy marketing awareness in a platform that is not expensive or is inexpensive in comparison to other platforms. Mm. So for me, that was like very fascinating. And there's certain brands we've worked with who are spending tens of thousands on Facebook, but we're like, that's not the way to reach the community. You can push a message through this platform and reach more people. And obviously platforms like Shadebara, some people like it, some people don't, but all of us were plugged in on that platform. Yeah. I mean, my, yeah. <laughs> my missus used to come. I mean, my missus, like she would, when it comes to news, she'll go BBC, then she'll check it on CNN, then she'll check it on Al Jazeera. She'll make sure she'll fact check everything, like yeah. all the different forms of media. One day she said to me, oh, babe, we're going into lockdown. I'm like, oh, okay, cool. How do you know? She's like, it was on Shadebara. I was like, huh? <laughs> you misses like, like source, like, you know, she would check every single reliable source. She was like, yeah, it's on Shadebara. Like it, it be, like it became a source of news for yeah. everyone. So at that moment I realized, okay, look, if they've got my missus, then they've got the whole culture locked in. 
So we did a lot of marketing. For real. We did a lot of marketing on that platform. Yeah. Um, so that's why we've kind of gone into the media space. Okay. So we've done a lot of activations because we're essentially media buyers. Right? Mm. Brands come to us and give us the budget and they say, basically, buy me attention and okay. buy me conversions. Buy me attention. Okay. So what we're doing now is we're trying to partner with like podcasts, um, independent black media yeah. uh, platforms to basically make our money go further. Okay. But also invest in their platform yeah it's like a cycle right it's a cycle it's a cycle right yeah. you pay the marketing the brands grow bigger then they just keep exactly right, you're keeping it and this is you know when when we talk about spend with black businesses it's not just the buying the products no. it's the other aspects of it right you've got the media aspect like you said the marketing aspect as well yeah that we've been talking about as well offline is it's so fascinating to me yeah. i feel like we're at that time where it's just about to really boom. Really take off. Oh, yeah, yeah, it's really going to take off. And I think for me, me, media is super important for us, especially independent black media. As I was speaking offline, um, one of the brands that I sort of got me into consumer marketing looking back was a brand called Dyke and Dryden. They were the first black millionaires um, in the UK. And they were based in Tottenham, literally on, on the road that I mentioned, West Green Road. I mentioned they did advertising through pirate radio stations. Mm. And one of the challenges was once the pirate radio stations got acquired, they could no longer use that channel because, you know, the price of advertising became too expensive and obviously our audience was no longer there. But also when I started to look at, and the question you asked me earlier about football, do I regret playing football or not? And as I did, you know, growing up, I feel like I can have a, a bigger impact to what I'm doing right now because the media space is run by advertising. Yeah. You got to think about all the biggest media platforms, Channel 4, IT, they're funded, even Facebook, mm. it's funded through advertising. Mm. So the real influence is in platform, in, in businesses like Procter & Gamble, who spend yeah. billions, right? Crazy amounts, yeah. Crazy amounts on advertising. Yeah. Um, and people actually look at, if you look at the history of advertising, it was started by um, consumer packaged goods, so yeah. CPG brands, um, like soap opera. Yeah. So the term soap opera comes from, you know, back in the 30s and 40s, you know, women would stay at home and they'll be listening to stories, right? Um, but all of those stories were sponsored by soap companies. So that's actually where the term soap opera comes from. So wild, right? So for me, it's like, I'm just trying to take that same framework and bring it to, you know, this century and actually help benefit all of us in a sense, not just the consumer brands, but also the media brands and the, and the jobs it creates. You know, one of, one of our clients indirectly employs a hundred people and they did eight million pounds revenue last year wow and we're looking to do 16 million this year so I'm 16 million right and for me those numbers they sound Man. huge yeah but it's, it's when you see the people it touches yeah you know when his business was growing he recruited people in his church <laughs> like <laughs> I love that you know what i mean just to come help yeah. out you know and so for me i work harder for those types of businesses because I know it's not just about this one individual selling the business in a few years time and becoming a hundred millionaire yeah it's actually the jobs and opportunity it creates even for myself I'm able to employ we just you know create another person to help us mm. with ads so there's a trickle down effect mm. and even the the distribution center that distributes a lot of my clients it's um it's black owned mm. So there's, what do you mean distributes? Oh, distributes for for the brands, the yeah. products. Yeah. Okay. So, so you, you help on that end as well. Um, I don't personally, but okay. a friend of mine runs okay, a, runs a distribution. Okay. Uh, business. See, I didn't even know about that. Yeah, distribution. Yeah, yeah. Oh yeah, it's that's a, so interesting. Yeah, because if you, I mean, if you're selling, yeah, products, you're gonna need help. Products, yeah, like, you can't store that in your back yeah. of your garden anymore. So yeah, yeah, he he manages all that, but is wow. all of that 
is the impact. Loving the ecosystem here. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, um, so that's that's how we got into the media space, and then obviously the personal brand as well. It's all linked with that because we work with yeah. influencers as well. But I also feel like, for me, I'm really fascinated about entrepreneurs' personal brands, and what I mean by that is, and I said this a few years ago, entrepreneurship is 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 in at the moment, and it's good that we're having those conversations in our community because. I think these guys that are building these businesses are going to be the superstars in our community, and they should be, because if you 100%. look at if you look at the rappers and footballers, they're trying to become entrepreneurs, right? So mm. entrepreneurship is in right now. Jay Z and these guys made entrepreneurship cool, right? But these are the guys that were entrepreneurs from the moment they left university. So um, in this platforms that like numbers game, yeah, I love to support them, yeah, because like representation is everything. You've got to see yourself before you can, you can you can become something. So. So the personal brand part of that is also helping entrepreneurs tell their story. Okay. Um, so we've, we we do like brand content for big corporate brands, which amplifies the story of black founders. So we okay. just did a campaign with Lloyd's mm. um, and one of our clients, Amma, was just telling her story on how she grew the business. And yeah, just kind of giving back to the black community and other yeah. founders through, through those that. platforms. Love that, love that. There's all, something else that, caught my eye on your website mm -hmm. uh, so you say we believe the future of communication is the is in the intersection of data culture and storytelling talk, yeah. talk to me about what you mean by that yeah so i think for me when i was trying to um figure out my niche or my area of expertise i looked at my journey with mixtape madness i looked at my journey um you know when i was blogging and i looked at my journey at bmj with data right and i was basically putting all those three together yeah. and I found my sweet spot in the middle, which was, um, you know, data, culture and storytelling. So I'll, I'll break down each one. Out of those three, the most important is culture. Like I think culture is this unspoken thing in the room that you just know, like, you know, mm. like you, you don't even have to say it. I can just tell like yeah. where you're from, just how we move and how we, we talk. And, and there's, there's real currency in that. Right, there's real value in that. Um, so, and I think for people, especially from our community, it's an unfair advantage because it means that if I'm a marketer and somebody's trying to target my community, they should go through me yeah. because I, I have the unspoken nuance understanding of how to speak to you, right? And I knew I had that. Mm. And I know a lot of people in our culture have that. They just haven't had the opportunity to apply it. Mm. And then the the storytelling part of it is also then okay cool you understand the culture but how do you how do you speak to how do you get your message across like what platforms do you pick to even advertise yeah how do you speak to how what are the terminologies what are the trends that are are happening in that culture but how you know so that it feels natural and doesn't feel salesy right um, so that's the storytelling aspect of it and really kind of connecting with people through stories that they can relate to. And then the data part is the beautiful thing around going back to the K Coke story is like you've put it out to the world. You can now look in the back end and figure out, okay, this worked and this didn't work. Why did that work? Okay, I think it worked because because you've got that cultural context and you've yeah. got a storytelling context. And I've done, I've played that game so much that I've kind of honed myself my own area of expertise. Okay. And it's played out. It's played out because one of our clients, going back Avery Star, we just got a report from Facebook. This is from Facebook's head office in Ireland. Our ad that we ran for Ramadan was the most effective in terms of brand recall, so people remembering it, and 
intention to purchase in the whole of EMEA. So wow. Europe, Middle East, and Africa. And these are ads that we've been running for like years that we just kind of iterate. Um, and we started off using the kind of, you know, the meme platform kind of thing where you have the text at the top, you have yeah. the picture, founder creates, whatever. We've iterated that so much that we literally out we outperformed the likes of L'Oreal and all of these major corporate brands when it comes to brand recall yeah. and, and brand purchase and, and purchase intent off of a Facebook ad. And mm. we're, we're actually applying and hopefully it'll be featured on Facebook's website. Wow. That's culture, storytelling, mm. and also data. Cause that's literally what we do. Like we'll look, we'll put an ad out live. Yeah. Seven days later and say, okay, it's performing well. It's not performing well. What are the differences? Yeah. And I think that that's the future. And I think if you can understand one or two of those you're mm. going to be a superstar even if you just understand storytelling and data mm -hmm. you're going to you're going to go far because it means that you can you can do the creative side but you can also analytically um be able to explain why things are, are working and aren't working yeah but even if you understand culture and storytelling and don't have the data side you can build a podcast you can mm. build you could build a media platform so yeah. there's a lot of people in our community who are analytical mm. but they understand culture and understand storytelling yeah True. Um, so podcasters, mm. um, um, influencers, mm. all. Of, so just even having two of those in, intersections can can push you further. And I think mm. for us, we're trying to work with all those people okay. to be able to. When, if, if the data part is missing, we can plug that for yeah. them. If if the culture part is missing, we we can plug that for them. So yeah, yeah so that's kind of like where it's come from. That's a, that's absolutely amazing. Yeah. I mean, your yeah, your client list. I had a look. Ava Stell, like you mentioned, Plant Made, mm -hmm. Oja, Kai, Treasure Tress, who we had on the podcast as well, Ruka Hair, mm -hmm. Alun. Alunuko as well. Yeah. And you're managing about 10 million a year. Yeah. That's, how did you get to that point? And yeah. do you, I guess, do you feel a sense of pressure? And I guess I'm liking it to, you know, back with Mixtape Madness, maybe the budget wasn't, <laughs> maybe it wasn't 10 million. I don't know, right? But now it's 10 million. Mm -hmm. Like, do you, do you feel pressure with that now? Yes. And, and the pressure is less about the money, if I'm yeah. 100% honest. It's, it's, like I said, the impact. Mm. I mean, for, for, for people who look like me, to trust me with that amount of money yeah. says a lot. And it's, it's, a, it's a privilege mm. for them to be able to say, look, man, as I put my credit card in the back of mm. this thing, you can go and spend hundreds of thousands mm. a week to go bring me the mm. results. Obviously it took a while for me to get here. You know, when I first started, the clients I was running ads for was spending no more than a grand a mm. month. And then naturally you move up to 10 grand a month. Yeah. And naturally you move up to clients who are spending a hundred grand a month, right? And as long as you're seeing the results, then they just put the money back into the business. Yeah. And yeah, the 10 million figure, I didn't even realize it until last year. Cause okay. Because I, wow. I had to present, as part mm -hmm. of my presentation, I was, like, yeah. I was like, oh, how much money have we, have we spent on ads? And yeah. And I was like, oh my gosh, we really spent 10 million across our client base. Wow. But when you break it down though, and, and, and these are still, and I, I, you know, I try to be, realistic as well like mm. these are huge numbers yeah but the kind of work we do we're actively managing a lot of accounts so mm -hmm. when i broke it down it was like eight hundred thousand a month or something like that, okay. 833,000 wow. a month which you break it down it's about 30 grand a day mm -hmm. which is still a huge number mm. but some of our brands are making 30 to 40 grand a day on sales fair enough so in that <laughs> context it's like yeah you know, but it's you know, I, and I'm not sitting here to kind of, you know, belittle it because it's a huge... It's, it's a massive achievement. You should be very but, proud of that, yeah. But it took a while for me to get there. Yeah. And I started doing the £1,000 ads and mm. and I sent the message to a group of the founders. I was like, <laughs> you crazy people trust me with £10 million. 
it's like I'm super grateful, like, yeah. you know. But it's also it's the impact, bro. Yeah. Like the the jobs is creating and just people's lives are changed. People are retiring their parents. Yeah. I love to hear that. Do you know what I mean? And and um, that is like for me, it it it, it, it is priceless. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? It's amazing. Yeah. That's amazing. What would you say are some of the challenges that you did have? If you if you go back to that time and you think about it, you you mentioned one of them seemed to be twenty twenty when your clients went down mm-hmm. um, in half. Um, talking about that and other challenges, what would you say they were? And I guess what kind of made you think, okay, I'm gonna overcome this. I'm gonna overcome this obstacle, and I'm gonna keep on going instead of like, actually, I'm just gonna shut it down. Yeah. So I think yeah. I mean, at twenty twenty, losing half my clients was a big challenge. Um, like I said, we we did have some savings. Yeah. Um, but also to mention, there was bounce back loan as well. Yeah. Which, funny enough, I mean, and I look back at it in the groups, I was I was very skeptical. Yeah. I was like, this is too easy. Yeah. Like you know, like, and there's a lot of scaremongering around it. Yeah. And I remember, you know, being one of my mentors pulled me up and said, "Bro, how did you go to university?" He's like, well, "I took a student loan." He said, "This is the best loan you're ever gonna get. Take it, even if you just have the money there." you're going through you've lost half your clients that's that's what the money's there for so that was super helpful but irrespective of that i think i took it relatively well but it was scary because my wife had just got him, left her job and her business was you know slowly building up so i was basically paying for most of the things in the house but my family you know were very faith-based like you know we've been through certain challenges in life that in the context business seems small you know so i kind of had that as a as a baseline that you know things can get better so my faith very much helped but also my will to serve and it's interesting there's a there's a client of someone name who they are but one of the clients that i was most concerned about i reached out to them and i said to them like I just want to make sure you guys are fine and whatever, like whatever agreement we have, I'm willing to provide more than, than, than what you're paying for. Because that client had so much impact on other businesses in our community. And I remember her response and she was like, oh, don't worry, you know, we're fine, but I'm more concerned about the knock-on effect in our community. And that's where we connected. I was like, okay, you're here for, for a purpose. Yeah. I you, love you've that. got, you've got a service yeah. mentality. So let's work together. Mm. And I literally went above and beyond. And interestingly, that that brand took off and my missus benefited off the back of that brand taking off. So it was those relationships that really mattered, you know, at a time when people would reach out to me and be like, oh, bro, like, how's, how's things? Like, um, you know, I was working with a brand called Trim It, mm. Darren. Like, incredible founder. He called me, he's like, Maz, whatever happens. And he had to shut down his business. Mm. He had a bar. He had a barber. He had a barber barbershop. So he had to mm. shut it down for a whole year without because he couldn't cut hair. Mm. Yeah. And he called me and he was like, "Bro, how you doing for money?" And I was doing relatively okay, mm. but the call was enough to know that if it got peak, he's thinking of me. Mm. And so the other founder that I spoke to was like, "Okay, you're not like I've got the right people around me," and that was helpful. Yeah. And the community that came, like loads of people just made, because I'm thinking, oh gosh, man left his job, his missus left yeah. his job. So I was in people's minds, yeah. right? Um, so that was super helpful. Yeah. Um, and then, yeah, then it just took a turn for for the best. Mm. Um, so that was challenging. And then, you know, naturally you get into situations where, you know, things aren't working out, you know, with, with, with clients and so forth, for whatever reason. 
um, sometimes, you know, businesses just go separate ways and stuff, but you, you just move on. You yeah. move on from that and you just, because my service is, is, is for the community. Like, yeah. and those businesses that are very much community led, mm. we, we always work really well together. I love that. I love yeah. that. And I, I love the fact that people are there to support you because you supported them exactly. and you were willing to support them. And yeah, yeah I, I, I can understand why they would be willing to, that's crazy. Yeah. Talking about community, actually. Yeah. Director Culture. I love that. I love that name. Yeah. I love both names. <laughs> Director Culture. So talk to us about that. So yeah. you is, you know, you've got an event coming up, right? What what is Director Culture and how is that different to other events that are out there? Yeah, that's a brilliant question. So Director Culture, um, so it's actually a, a, a phrase that I coined in a WhatsApp group with my friends um who run Temple, the skincare brand. And I was like, guys, I want to organize an event where we can invite consumer, personal and meet black media brands. Because I really wanted to get that conversation going on, guys, we can work together. And I'm sure you've heard of the term direct to consumer, yeah. which is how we sell things online, right? So rather than needing a middleman, you just sell it on Shopify and whatever. So I coined the phrase direct to culture because I realized mm-hmm. we're not just consumers. We're more than consumers. Yeah. And I think we've always been focused on selling to each other, but actually we, we're partners. We, we can we can work together. So, but typically with me, I always like to create businesses or solutions to problems. Because it's, and I'll say this to my friend the other day, actually, I think black British entrepreneurs, we have loads of support. I and mean, just when you compare it to other parts of the world, you know, we've got some amazing events. Yeah. We've got the UK Black Business Show. We've got um, Guap. We've got Gala, which is more for like the creative side guys. You've got Foundervine, which is more for the like the early stage startups. You've got Andy's AIS, which is more for the investors and, and so forth. And um, Demi from Lendo's just got an update. So there's loads of like amazing events that solve particular problems. So I didn't want to just have another event when these guys are already doing an amazing job. And I think where we sort of found our niche was that we were speaking to digital first businesses. And being digital first is you have to be very dynamic. So things change very quickly. You need to know like yesterday what Facebook has changed and YouTube and, you know, even with yourself as a yeah. podcast, like, you know, the algorithm, you need to, Crazy. You need to be tapped in yeah. really quickly. Yeah. And I just felt like in our community, they, 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 had, they hadn't been that level of fast paced conversation. Mm. So the event was thrown based on the fact that guys, this is what, this is what's changing. Like, this is what's happening on this platform. This is how you guys can work together, da, 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 like really fast paced. And we did it as an annual event and everybody was like, when is the next one? When's the next one? Mm, and it's such an investment that we couldn't do it. Mm. <laughs> we couldn't do it monthly, but we're, we're, we're working on um, extending that community beyond the event just because the nature of the businesses we work with, yeah, they need, inf- they can't wait a year to know that these yeah. algorithms changed. <laughs> yeah. There's an opportunity here, but like people need to be more connected. So at the event, we, we will be making an announcement on how we're going to make it more dynamic and, okay. and ongoing. I love that. Yeah. So, um, so speakers, yeah. what, what, I guess, what can we expect from an event and who will be like the key speakers at the event? Yeah, oh, I'm super excited. Okay. So last year, really had two speakers with myself and my friend, Say, who run Hush. Okay. Um, so this year we've got loads of speakers. So there's, there's a few panels. Um, one of them is actually going to be exclusive. So I'm going to say it on here because by the time this comes out, yeah. it will be public. Yeah. Um, oh no, I might, I, I probably will get it out before then. Before then. Yeah, oh, I'm uh, going to get it out before the event. Before Friday. Oh no, no, it's fine. Before, oh, oh, before Friday. Friday. Oh no, no, it'll be after Friday. Yeah, yeah. Oh, okay, Friday. After Friday. Yeah. Yeah. Next Monday, I'm going to try and get oh, this out. Yeah, perfect. Yeah, yeah. Perfect. Yeah, because, yeah. Um, yeah, because we're announcing the, the, okay. the sort of special guest. Okay. Um, so yeah, so 
So last year we had me and Sate, and then we had the nineties babies in the evening. So I'll give yeah. you a breakdown of like how the event works. So it's a, it's an all day conference, but in the in the in the in the daytime it's more businessy. Yeah, it's more panels, networking, all that stuff. And then as it goes to the evening, we actually invite uh, a media platform so it could be a podcaster or well-known person to come and talk about their journey and really what we're trying to do is marry up our customers and our clients to actually learn about the personalities and platforms that exist in our community obviously last year we had 90s babies and off the back of that they did a partnership with one of our clients plot made which is like massively profitable for both of them yeah so this year um so we've got a few panels so i'm gonna speak about um the trends like ai and digital trends that we're seeing and some of the our own platforms that we're bringing out. So that's, I'm probably going to spend about 15, 20 minutes doing that. Then we've got a panel, which is sponsored by Lloyds Bank, which is called Money Affirmec, mm. how to um, how to um, access funding to grow your business. Mm. So on there, we've got Andy Ayim, yeah. Demi uh, from Lendo. Yeah. Uh, got Christina from Vamp. Um, and we've got uh, Kalia from Lloyds. Okay, wow. Yeah, so which is yeah. super cool because, you know, Christina's got a service-based business. So it's good for mm. the people who run service-based and to realize how they can, you know, um, grow their business and access yeah. funding. Um, then we've got a panel discussion um, called "It's Personal: How to mm-hmm. Build a uh, Authentic Personal Brand." So we've got Fasaya Lange, who um, wow. Kai Collective, yes, yeah. super excited about her. Um, and then we've got um, Jeffrey Boydie, who's mm-hmm. um, he runs a platform called The Wealth of Health. Mm-hmm. Then we got Timmy, Mister yeah. Money Jar, and then uh, Pillar is the host. Yeah. Um, but but then we've got a fireside chat with myself and a lady called Louise, who's mm-hmm. the founder of Shubs. Okay, yes, yes, yeah, I know Shubs. Yeah, very interesting story. And yeah. I think her her profile yeah. is is not out there as much, but she's yeah. achieved amazing things. Mm. And, you know, like she was one of the first people to get funded by YC Combinator, which is like a big tech wow thing. And then then we have a break, and in the evening we've managed to get a Kath, um, um, Candice Braithwaite. Oh, yes. okay, yeah, okay. Yeah. So we've got that's the, a special guest, yeah, mad. Yeah, uh, I was talking to my wife about her. Yeah, my yeah. wife's a big fan of her. Yeah, yeah. that one's secret because we know she'll probably yeah. sell out tickets. Yeah, so we want to make sure like the business uh, side okay. is, 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 is at least because, there. Yeah, because she did it. Yeah, the, she's got a talk with Coco. I think a couple of weeks before, mm. and they just put it on Instagram and it sold out in like a minute or something. Wow. Okay, so one hundred and fifty tickets. So yeah. You know, we know what's going to happen. Okay. People will be like, I'll come to the all day thing just to see her. So yes, yeah, so we're making sure. <laughs> but no, those those are really, wow. people I admire, all of them. Yeah. Um, and I'm just super excited to have them. And, you know, they, they, they believe in our mission yeah. as well, which is super cool. I love that. I'm, yeah. I'm so excited uh, for, for that event. And I think that event is, like you say, is a perfect mix. It's, it's not unlike, it's not like anything else that I've seen out there. And again, it goes back to the conversation where we're talking about where I think the time is right where it's about to really blow off, right? Mm-hmm. We're getting that community, we're yeah. connecting offline, we're getting people from different aspects and we're we're creating our own black business ecosystem in a way, so, you know, yeah. all, all three elements of it, which I, yeah, which I really appreciate and I appreciate your position in it. I feel like you've had definitely a lot of impact from hearing your story. Mm-hmm. I guess what's, what do you have planned next for yourself? I know you told us a bit about the event, but yeah, what do you have planned next for yourself? Yeah, so we we just recruited um, a performance marketing manager. So my my goal over the next year and a bit is really to invest in talent. Okay, um, and it's one of the reasons why you know yeah. come on this podcast because yeah. I've realised that a lot of people don't know who I am, and mm. I think I've been working in the shadows. Mm. So a lot of people that know about me are people in the consumer marketing space, which is fine. And and sometimes you know when you've got a certain business, you, you don't need a whole world to know. You just need the people that you're working with yeah. to know. But what I've realized is what we're doing is it's actually bigger than just us that, you know, there could be a kid in Brixton who wants to get into digital marketing and them not seeing me 
could mean that they, they never get the opportunity. Yeah. So for myself is really growing the team, empowering my team, going out there and and more to 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 reach talent more than yeah. clients, to be honest. Um so that's what I'll be doing. Um we've also got a platform that we're launching which we'll be announcing at the thing. So I'll be sort of co-running that as well. Um but yeah, it's almost trying to take the next step into mm. into pushing the culture forward. Love that, love that. Where can people find you? Uh, yes, yeah, so people can find me uh, on Translate Culture yeah. uh, at Translate Culture on Instagram, and also Direct Culture at, on Instagram. Um, yeah, um, that's probably the best best place to sort of find um, what we do. Amazing, amazing, man. Like I said, it's been it's been such a great conversation, and I definitely want to have another conversation with you in a year's time because I think. Mm-hmm. It's important just to keep up with people, what they're doing, how not just the business world is changing, the personal world is changing, just how how this ecosystem is changing and evolving. I think it's very, very important. And like I say, I'm very, you know, this is our first time meeting and I like I have like this connection because I'm like, wow, similar stories, similar backgrounds. We're trying to do similar things, but in different ways. And we have like that similar vision. I love that. I love when I meet people that have like think, something that I thought of, but mm-hmm. we've never met each other. It's yeah. like, wow, like that's, yeah, it just gets you so excited and it just like brings your energy to another level. Mm-hmm. I guess, um, do you have any final words for watchers and listeners? Um, no, yeah. I mean, just, um, yeah, support us as, as much as you can. So you come to the event. Uh, if you can't, obviously follow us on Translate Culture. We will be doing a lot more community stuff as well. Um, we've got a sports day sort of planned as well. So just kind of the community element of it as well. Not not everything has to just be sort of business focused. But yeah, there'll be a lot more sort of fun things that we've got planned in the coming weeks and months. Amazing, amazing. Thank you so much, Maz, for coming on to the podcast. Really, really great to speak to you. Watch the listeners, better see you at the event, you know. You better come to this event, this kind of event. Look, where he said, as soon as they announced it, you said this Friday. We're going to announce this Friday. Okay, cool, cool. (laughs) It might be a bit too late. (laughs) But let's see, let's see. Hopefully, hopefully, hopefully. Yeah, yeah, hopefully, yeah. So um, thank you so much, Maz, for your time today. Thanks, watchers and listeners, for listening to this episode of Takeover Experience. And we'll see you next week's episode. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich, flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.